0: As many of you are aware, uh, a week or so ago, Governor Newsom released some new uh, guidance for the counties as they merge out of um, different patterns of COVID-19 and dealing uh, with the virus. And one of those things uh, that was talked about was kind of San Diego County had now uh, been released from the strictest of areas. And if you paid attention to all that, I'm not gonna go into all those details, but you know that we are now in the red zone. And one of the implications of being in the red zone is that places of worship, churches, were given the opportunity to come back in person. And so uh, I want to let you know that last Tuesday our elders gathered, and we've been praying about this over that previous weekend, and we've made a decision that we are going to begin again, or or we're going to resume in-person worship on Sunday, September 20th. And um, I want to kind of just outline that a little bit for you because it it is going to look a little bit different. And, um, I want to just share with you kind of what it is that we are thinking about. And, and a lot of times when we come up with rules and regulations, we say, here's what you cannot do, or this is what we are not going to do. Uh, So instead of talking about the don'ts, I'm going to talk about the do's and what it is that you'll get to do if you want to participate in this. First of all, we will ask you to pre-register. Uh, This will be able to be done online as well as by making a phone call to the church or by email. Um, The guidelines that have been given to us is that the most people we can put in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall is 25% of its capacity or a maximum of 100 people. So that means we'll be allowing 100 people into the fellowship hall and 100 people into the sanctuary. And you will begin able, you'll be able to start registering for that on Monday, September 14th. We'll get you some more information about this. You'll have the privilege of wearing a mask. Masks will be required. You'll have the privilege of having your temperature taken and also doing a short medical screening like many of us have gotten used to in order to come into the sanctuary or the fellowship hall. You will be able to experience a song leader, and an organ or a song leader and a guitar, depending on which service you come to. But you need to know there is no corporate singing. Part of the guidelines make it very clear there is to be no corporate speaking, no corporate praying, and no corporate singing. And so therefore we will have one person or two people that will lead us in song, and we'll be able to worship in that sort of way. You'll be able to bring your children or grandchildren, and they will need to sit with you. The guidelines also make it very clear That there is no Sunday school, there is no child care, and all children, which means everyone under the age of 18, need to be with their parents or their guardians. And so you'll be able to bring kids. You'll be able to park in our parking garage, but our preference is for you to park on the street. Because parking in the parking garage brings in some other complications, but the garage will be open. Finally, and perhaps this is the one you've been waiting for the most, you'll be able to bring your offerings Um, you all have been so amazing and I am kind of joking about that, but it's true. We will have a box where you'll be able to drop your offering. And so those are seven quick things about what we're going to be experiencing as we move forward with in-person worship on Sunday, September 20th. We'll worship at 845 in the sanctuary and at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall. Finally, and this is probably what is important for many of you. We will continue to do the online service as we have been doing. We will produce that every week like we do and release it early on Sunday morning because I know there are a lot of you who prefer not to come back in person. And so for you, it will look very similar. Every Sunday morning, you'll be able to awaken to a new message and a new uh, time of worship, experiencing and expressing the transforming love of Jesus. And so in all of this, I ask for your prayers. Uh, I ask you to be patient with us. This is something we have never experienced, we have never done. We've talked about this numerous times. And the elders felt that now is the time to move out in faith. And so that will all begin on Sunday, September 20th. I'll also be sending out a letter next week that will detail a little bit more of this. And there will be more information available on our website as well. This morning we wrap up our sermon series on Jeremiah Uh, We began this in the first Sunday of June, which is really rather remarkable to think about that. And for the past three months, we have been taking a look and considering the story of Jeremiah, his lament, his encouragement, his discouragement as he relates to God. And as he tells the story of the fall of Judah, the fall of Jerusalem and the overwhelming uh, nature of the fall of the temple as the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city. In two weeks, we'll start a new sermon series around the theme of discipleship. We're going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to become like Jesus? And what does it look like to act like Jesus? That's really part of what the nature of discipleship is all about. So I'm excited about that. You'll be hearing more about that uh, starting on September 20th as well. We're going to start a new sermon series uh, as we move into the fall so be in prayer for that. Last week, I was I really encouraged by being able to hear from Jeremiah and Noel as they talked about uh, Eben Melek and they talked about the value and the importance of friendship that we read about in Jeremiah. Last week, part of the reason why Jeremiah and Noel preached for me is that my son Micah and I were driving up to Spokane, Washington. He decided that he wanted to uh, take his car, which was great and he decided he wanted to take the coastal route on the way up to Spokane. So we left and drove up uh, through San Francisco, we drove up the Oregon coast, and then we drove over to Crater Lake because one of the things he wanted to do was to be able to take pictures at Crater Lake. And as we were in line to get into the park, I noticed that the line was 15 or 20 cars, and, and every now and then I could see a car drive up to the park ranger and then flip around and go back the opposite way which I thought was kind of strange because Crater Lake is is not exactly on the way to anything, and so you have to go out of your way to get there. And I saw these cars turning away. But we kept making our way closer and closer and closer to the park ranger to pay our entrance fee. And when we arrived at the park ranger station, she handed me a map and said, or actually she didn't even hand it to me. She pulled this out and said, what you see on this map is not what you are going to see today. She said, the lake is filled with smoke. And as you may recall, there there were numerous fires burning a week or so ago in Northern California and also in the the Pacific Northwest. And what had happened was all this smoke had descended into Crater Lake, and you could not see the view that the picture was showing. And so I looked at Micah, and I said, well, hey, uh, do you want to go in? And he's like, yeah, I want to take pictures of Crater Lake. It probably also helped that I was the one shelling out the $30 admission fee to be able to get into the park. But anyway, we we got into Crater Lake and we began driving around. And I have a picture of what we saw. Smoky, hazy, no real clarity. What the park ranger had described was accurate. Accurate. But I have another picture that Micah then posted on social media that looks a little bit different than the picture you just saw. But this is actually the same picture. Only through the magic of Photoshop and Adobe, it has been changed and transformed. There's colors, and the picture is light, and you can see greenery. And if you put these pictures side by side... I think there's a great story here because what we often see, and particularly in the last six months, what we have seen is a sense of darkness. We don't see clearly as the park rangers said, you're not going to see what this picture shows because of the smoke. But for many of us for the past several months, we have also not been able to see clearly. But what God does is God is the ultimate Photoshop person. God, God doesn't even need Photoshop. God sees the colors. God sees the vividness of life. God is the one who longs to be in relationship with us, to bring out the natural beauty. And so I hope we remember that. I hope that what, though we, we understand that we see kind of through a glass dimly and, and we don't see quite clearly God sees very clearly and God continues to pour out his mercies upon us. And that's what our text this morning is actually all about. The reminder that God is with us. He is our hope and he is our salvation. This morning we turn to the book of Lamentations. Most of us probably don't spend a lot of time in the book of Lamentations. We're going to look at chapter 3 verses 19 through 33, Lamentations is, is what they call dirge poetry. It's about loss. It's about sorrow. It's about lament. And what Jeremiah does is he laments for the nation of Judah. He pours out his heart. But even in the midst of lament, there is hope. And so we take a look this morning, Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 33. And you all know the story. You know what's been going on in Jeremiah's life. You know what's been going on with Judah. And so listen now for God's word. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit in silence. Let him sit alone in silence for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. The affliction, the gall, the wandering, the bitterness. In verses 31 through 33, we we see that all come to its culmination, that Judah has not been faithful, that God is not going to restore them or redeem them, that, that God is basically going to turn his head away from them because of their unfaithfulness. But Jeremiah refuses to end there because we read through that. I hope you heard words like compassions, faithfulness, hope. Therefore, I will remember because Jeremiah has this sense of hope, even in the midst of despair. I really want to focus this morning on Jeremiah 21 verses or verses 21 In Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. 21, Jeremiah says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This is what I call to mind. And he has hope. And what is it that he has hope in? He has hope that God is with him. This is remarkable and it's a haunting image because what's happening is Jeremiah is sitting amongst the rubble. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls have been knocked down. The temple is wrecked. And for some reason Jeremiah was not led away into captivity, but he remained in Jerusalem. And so he sits amongst the rubble and proclaims God's faithfulness in the midst of uncertainty and the despair. He cannot see clearly, but he knows that God is with him, that God will not abandon him, that God grieves with him. And I think that this is such an important thing for us to remember. As we think about who God is, it really helps us to have hope. And Jeremiah knows of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness. He's sitting there, and you can just imagine this. He's rereading Deuteronomy. I remember, that was the book that he read when he was a young child, and he's reading about commandments, and he's reading about covenants, and he's reading about God's faithfulness, and he's seeing how God was with the people of Israel, even in the midst of their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God was with them. He grieved with them. He rejoiced with them. Uh, in Nicholas Wolzerstorff's book, Lament for a Son, he says this, And this has always been a very powerful quote for me. He says, God is not only the God of the sufferers, but he is the God who suffers. It is said of God, no one can behold his face and live. I always thought this meant no one could see his splendor and live. A friend said, perhaps it meant that no one could see his sorrow. And live. Or perhaps his sorrow is his splendor. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. What Wolster Wolsterhorf I can't ever say is Wolterstorf suggests and is saying is that perhaps the reason we can't glimpse God's face is not just because of his glory but also because of his sadness of a world that has gone awry of a world that has lost its way. And what he contends is that God then doesn't always explain the suffering, but that he suffers right along with us. And I'm pretty convinced that Jeremiah believed this. This is why he can write what he writes. This is why he can say what he says. So what I want to suggest is this, what you believe about God will determine your hope. What you believe about God is going to determine how hopeful you can be because we have to have this hope in the God that sees that which we cannot see of the God who is with us in the midst of our daily lives in the ups and in the downs. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. As the author of Hebrews looks back at the faithful who have gone before him, the faithful who lived before Jesus Christ, he writes this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This describes people before Jesus, but I think it also describes us. Listen to that. They did not receive all that was was promised. We've received the ultimate promise of everlasting life, but we know that Christ will return again. But then it says they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They could glimpse them. They heard the promises, but they had not yet fully received them. But they continued to hope. What you believe about God will determine your hope. What you believe about God will also determine how it is that you wait. And we get to see what it is that Jeremiah believes. Chapter or verse 22 and 23 and 24 of Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to these words. And these are probably the most familiar words that come out of the book of Jeremiah. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed because for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness because of the Lord's great love. Verse 22, the Hebrew word there is Hesed. It's a love that is covenantal. It's a love that is committed. It's a love that goes the extra mile. And Jeremiah says, this is the God that I believe in. And not only that, he says, your compassions never fail. This is the emotional side of love. Hesed is the loyalty side, compassions is the emotional side. That Hebrew word that is used there was used of the love that a mother had for her unborn child. As that boy or girl was, was in her womb, it was this love that she experienced so that when that child was born, it was this kind of compassion that she felt. And Jeremiah says, This kind of compassion is new. Each and every day. His compassions never fail. This is the God Jeremiah trusts his life to. They are new. Verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We awaken each day into God's new merciful ways. The reality is this. As you and I sleep, God is at work. We awaken into a new morning. And even if we feel as though we do not see God's mercies, even if we feel as though it is murky and unclear, God's mercies are new each and every morning. His compassions are new each and every day. His love for us is new each and every day. We awaken into that. And sometimes God can only work on us when we're asleep because we're so busy resisting. We're so busy pushing back. We're so busy saying, we don't want this. We don't want that. And as we rest, God is at work. This is what Jeremiah believes. And then in verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. It's an agrarian term. It's, it's a word that we don't we, we don't necessarily think about very often because of our own culture and our own society. But I think about it in the context of beliefs where we have done mission work for a number of years and the community where, where we work, which is the Valley of Peace. It was a refugee resettlement camp originally. People were fleeing the, the civil wars of El Salvador. And so in the early 80s, some land in Belize was set up for those who were fleeing from El Salvador as well as for other Belizeans. And they moved as they moved into this community, it was interesting. They were given a very small plot of land to build a house or some sort of living structure. But they were also given at least 10 acres to farm. That was their portion. And on that acreage, they could make a living. They could produce food for themselves to eat. It was manna for the day. Lord, give us today our our daily bread. It was their portion. And it meant survival. It meant there was enough for the day to take care of themselves. And Jeremiah is saying the same thing about God. That God is his portion. That God is enough. That God provides manna for the day. And this is what Jeremiah clings to. And so we become like Jeremiah. We wait. But we wait expectantly. And as you may recall, one day the day came... When the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were able to return to Jerusalem. They were able to begin rebuilding the temple. And the temple was everything. It was where the presence of God was. And we read about this in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. And I want to read through verse 13. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. This is the new temple. The priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, the king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now listen to this though, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted with joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. There was great weeping and there was great rejoicing those who remembered the former temple wept. Those who had never seen the former temple rejoiced because they had come back home. And there was this strange tension of the new temple that had been built. Great weeping and great rejoicing. And it was loud. And I think about us. I think about even as we come back to worship in person on September 20th, it's going to look different. It's not going to be how it was. And there will be some great weeping probably or possibly, but I hope there is also great rejoicing. And it's not just about worship on a Sunday morning because God wants so much more for us. Even in our own lives, even as we look at this world, Things are different, but we can choose to weep or we can choose to rejoice. And I hope that we choose to rejoice. I hope we choose to remember that, yeah, life's not exactly how we want it to be. Things don't look how we want them to look, but God has not abandoned us. We can sit in the rubble and we can lament just as Jeremiah did, but also let us lament with some hope. Let us remember that God is the great artist that God sees that, which we cannot always see and that God is always at work. He is the one who brings us hope. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Pray with me, please. Oh God, thank you that you are with us. Thank you. Now that we have the opportunity to come to this table, to be reminded um, of your son's body that was broken. The blood that was shed so that we might have life and have abundant life. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.